Welcome to Bitches, Witches, and Queers, a podcast created for those on the edge of life, society, and big change. In this space, you'll hear about how you can make small and powerful shifts in your life towards healthier relationships and take brave steps to trust yourself in every aspect of your life. I like to keep it curious, a bit goofy, and down to earth. Welcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bitches, Witches, and Queers. Today, I have with me Sora Schilling. Hi, Sora. Hello. I've been so excited to be on this podcast with you. I feel so honored. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. It's been a long time coming. I know we first talked about it back in November, and then the holidays and um, the nomination for the podcast, which everyone knows about, and I'm very excited for. Sorry, I was actually on the committee for that podcast, so we couldn't record this until after everything was settled. <laughs> I just wanted to ensure that it was a clean space and that we can then really be here together in a way that had nothing to do with that. And congratulations for being a nominee. Thank you. It's been so delightful. I would love to start by asking you about like little Sora and like what spirituality like meant for you when you were little, like a little bit of your spiritual history. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I had a lot of spiritual history to be, to be honest. So I do remember when I was younger, I went to Presbyterian church, but to me, it was more about my parents being immigrants who immigrated from Korea. Um, they were eager to find community. My mother, I believe grew up being Catholic and my father did not care one way or the other when it came to religion. And so, but they did need to have soul family and people around them that could rely on for a whole various different thing. And so we went to church and I remember after church, we would go and we have picnics in the park and dad would play tennis with his friends. So it was much more a way to socialize than anything else. And then as I went into um, middle school, uh, some of my friends at church started to get a little bit more spiritually connected um, mm -hmm. and they were deepening in in that way, but they were also partying more. So there was this weird connection between deepening in and learning how to like speak. I don't know if it's learning, but channeling tongue and all these other things, but then also being out there in the world and going to pool halls and stuff. And so to me, it was very strange, this, this world that I had entered. So besides that, in my family households, there wasn't much about either religion or spiritual practices. So, but what did end up happening was when I was in high school, I ended up being in a alternative high school. So there was a high school within a high school. And my English teacher at the time, Judy was like, uh, Sora, you're brand new. And I really think that you would be a great fit for the alternative program. Would you consider applying to the A school? And I had no idea what that meant. And so I applied, I got in and I was in this other little um, like house almost where there was writings on the wall and there were seats on the floor and we spoke to our teachers by their first name and we had circle every week and we had volunteer work every week and uh, we chose our classes by nominating different classes and then our teachers had to figure out how to teach that course that we were considering and 
So it was great. And there's no grades. It was like 20 pages of evaluations. And I felt like I finally found my spiritual practice, meaning like I found home. I found a place where I could just be. I wasn't pretending. I had no idea who I was. I was on the fringe living, like being American, but not, and being Korean, but not, being from Queens and not. Now I was living in a place that was like Sweet Valley High. And there were people with beamers. And I was like, I didn't know that kids could have this kind of wealth. And so I was always on the outskirt of things looking in. And it was the one moment in time where I was amongst my fellow students who in the outside world would never have thought that they got along, right? We had like a football player with someone who loved grunge music, who then, you know, another person who loved Pink Floyd. And it was like such a weird group of folks that got together. But when we were in that room, it was safe and we got to be ourselves, like truly ourselves. And that to me was the start of this understanding that community, being in circle where we can share honestly, our ability to follow our passions and our joys, our ability to have a voice was what created the cornerstone for me and my spiritual practice. So it's all from the A school. Wow. You you say, are you saying ACE, like A-C-E? Oh, A, like alternative, the okay. A, A school. That is so fascinating. And how like, how niche is that, that you got to be in, in high school, like an inside, inside community that's practicing something that's so not the standard here in the U.S. That's fascinating to me. So you said you found a spiritual practice within the space, like of different people finding belonging that wouldn't otherwise belong. How did that then influence your practice going forward? So then I find that it didn't because I went to college (laughs) and then, you know, college is college. (laughs) I was in New York city. So I was working or, or, um, interning majority of the time, not even going to a lot of classes. Um, I started to go through a personal identity crisis. And so I went and really immersed myself with the Korean students. And that was a whole different scene. I felt like I was in Korea, but in the US and New York. And so I was like really just drinking a lot and partying a lot and doing all these things. And again, losing myself, right? Forgetting really who I was um, and being so consumed with New York and the the capitalistic ways, right? And I already had a natural sense that I was great in fashion. And so that just totally took me in a tailspin. So I didn't have my spiritual practice. The time that my spiritual practice had to come back in regards to learning how I belonged within myself and feeling good within me was when I was 20, probably like 24 or five at the time. I had just came back to New York from SF. I was working at Gap Corporate doing uh, fashion things um, and my back gave out and I was miserable. I had IBS. I was miserable. I felt like I was in a toxic culture. I couldn't get myself in a space of believing in myself. That confident person that I was who knew how to do my work just went away. And I was effing up left and right. And I just didn't feel like I could do this. And so I left. I left and I went on a spiritual quest for six 
months, I sold my Chelsea apartment. I had nothing left. I had no more. I had like no money. And I traveled and backpacked and found my deep love for travel and yoga and spiritual practices and esoteric studies. And that began a different um, trajectory of my life. Mm. That's intense. I'm I'm curious, like what, because there, there's like kind of a point and it looks different for everyone, but like you're, you're having this space where you're, you're like messing up and everything is going wrong and it feels like out of control. What it, what is like the step then to, to the leaving and traveling? Is it like an instant, like just fuck it all. And you like sell everything overnight or like, how did that happen? And why did it happen? Or do you know? Yeah. Good question. I can't, I want, I want you to answer that question too, because I'm curious about your life experience around this. So the first time it happened, cause I mean, come on, let's be honest. It's not like it only happens once in our lives, right? Like <laughs> multiple times. So the first time it happened, it was through the grace of my partner at the time, actually. So he was leaving and we knew our relationship was coming to an end and I didn't want it. Like I loved him and I knew that he loved me, but he had a very specific path he was going to take and he knew exactly what he was when he was going to get married, which was not until like 10, 15 years later, maybe 20 years later. And so he told me that he was going to go travel and he's the one who opened my eyes to travel. And when he told me where he was going to go first, I had this curiosity because it was an intuitive niggle because I realized that I remembered my dad saying that I have a aunt that lives in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And I thought, what, how great would it be if I actually went first and I lived in Argentina for at least a month or two um, and possibly lived with them or found an apartment and went to class and learned Spanish. And then my boyfriend at the time would come once he finished and quit his job. And then we would travel together. And then our final time together would be that. And then we would leave and he would go back to the West Coast and I would go back to the East Coast. So it felt really romantic and bittersweet in that way. And it was. Uh, But he really opened my eyes to what he saw was possible for me. Like, I feel like, especially as a projector, I need others to look at me and remind me of my greatness. And when I have folks around me who don't, I just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But there's these gracious moments where I get this opportunity to be with people who see me fully, right? And he was one of them. And there there are a handful of others through my throughout my lifetime, including my dear friend, Julie Parker, who's another, who was a catalyst. And these folks opened me up to the, what is my unlimited possible, my unlimited potential. Hmm. What about you? What was one of yours? <laughs> I love that. Um, and I'll share in just a minute. I just want to respond really quickly to, to yours, like the, the beauty of what you just said, like there, because because there's a lot in the self-help world, like you're supposed to be strong in yourself and know who you are without other people. But that's like a fucked up white concept. That's not like we're born in community, right? We're supposed to be connected to our community. So there is this like such an important thing to like have people in our lives who can reflect to us the goodness of who we are. And like, if that can't be your family for whatever reason, like it's so important to have people around you who can do that 
And it's, it's necessary for us to really like thrive, not just survive. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but for me, my family try their best and continue to try their best, but we have language differences. Their expectation for me because of why they moved here and what they wanted for me was so different. And we don't speak the same language. They have no idea who I am as an adult. They still see me as that 16 year old. They have their own stories that they create around, you know, what's going on in my life. And I don't have the language or even they them knowing enough to know what I do in the world, right? I mean, most people don't have any idea what I do <laughs> to begin with. And so I desperately yearned for so long to find somewhere to belong and to have family, to have people who, quote, got me. And more importantly, who saw me before I got myself. Mm. Yes. I, okay. I will share one of mine. Um, it actually happened at the ending of a relationship as well. Um, I was in, um, like an emotionally abusive relationship, but it was like, we were both really not in great places. And, um, I had lost myself so much in this space because I had like given over like every, my entire worth, like he saw things in me and I thought, that those things only existed within him. Like I thought that I wouldn't have me without him. And, but I was truly miserable. And I finally, like, I I would just get nauseous every time we talked about our future together. I like would always like go and like throw up. (laughs) And I was like, this can't be good. (laughs) It was like chronic nausea because of this. And I actually just like my brother came back into town with his wife at the time and they were moving to Kansas city and I was in St. Louis about to graduate college. And my brother was like, we have an extra room we're wanting to rent out. And it it was like, you know, I don't know if you've seen like those memes with the exit ramp, but it was, it was just like last minute, like, like, there I go. Like I took the exit, like my life depended on it. I just blew my life up. Like I just had, I had no plan except that I knew I had a place to stay and I was like, I'll figure it out. (laughs) But in those moments of I'll figure it out, don't you find that the most magical things happen? I put myself in that situation over and over again, like no home, no, no income, like no anything. And then through just these miracles of synchronicity, things just happen. And I'm so amazed. Yeah. On that point, I'd love to hear you speak about the, the hardest thing ever for me, which is being in the unknown. Like there's this con, like, I feel like so much of what we do and maybe I'm just projecting is so much of what I do in my life is to, to like protect myself from, from feeling uncertain. And my brain does this. It'll just create like boundaries or a plan or a pattern or something that makes me feel a semblance of control. And really like, like you just, like you just named the most amazing things that happen in our lives are when we just like, fuck it, take the exit ramp and allow the magic to like come to us and allow and trust ourselves. There's just like incredible things that happen in that space. So I'm curious, like what for you, like what helps you step into that? So there is a, 
there is a trick that I use. Now, again, this is my way. This isn't going to be everyone else's way. Sure. But for me, um, <laughs> it happens in two different ways. One is a way that I choose. And the other way is the way that the universe chooses for me, which isn't always great. <laughs> doesn't feel good ever. But it also is very exciting and very cool to witness during and mostly after. So yes, but the way that I personally choose to test this and remember is by traveling. And so with, with the pandemic and not having traveled as much, I do find myself until more recently, because I have been able to a little bit more, find that little bit, a bit more um, sensitive. There's a little more attention when it comes to trusting it. But what I used to do is I would travel at least one, two, three, four, five times a year. It's traveling probably more than um, seven months out of the year, if not. And anytime I travel, sure, I plan certain things, but other things I don't plan. And I do that purposely to kind of stretch my muscle of uncertainty and not feeling like I know exactly where I'm going or what's happening next. And so that might be not knowing where I'm literally flying over to next or where the next hotel I'm going to stay in, or am I staying somewhere else? Other times it'll be, I'll take a day and I have no idea where I'm going and I will just go. Mm. Right. And what happens during those moments are I meet the most interesting people or I find myself at a sacred site and I have no idea how it is that I even ended up here. Or I have someone tell me about some particular place and then I go somewhere and I randomly meet someone that I actually know. And we had no idea we were there. And they tell me that they were just there. And I go, what? And then they give me directions and then I can't find it. And then I think, oh, forget it. I won't do it. And then I'll dinner and someone will tell me like, hey, I could show you where it is. Like those things happen all the time. When I wasn't um, married or in partnership, I would travel. And as I was traveling, I would call in love, right? Love for myself, but also love with partners or dates or really beautiful experiences and sexual experiences. And each time it was a trusting of um, where it was that we were going and what kind of connections were going to be made. Now, the reason, though, I could trust that is because being a New Yorker who lived in Queens, I have a really good sense of danger. (laughs) So I'm not saying you trust because you're ignorant around your surroundings. I just know that I have street smarts and I'm pretty, pretty confident in my street smarts, which lends me to be able to be open in regards to how I travel. But I'm also cautious about traveling alone or those kinds of things. So those that are listening, I'm not saying like, just go out there and do that. (laughs) Know your boundaries and know your your edges. Um, So that's what the other is what you're saying. I get caught. I get caught in chaos that is then all around me swirling. I can't get out of it because it's part of my life lesson. And I know that as soon as I try to constrict it or control it, or find a solution by problem solving with my mind, it will never end well. Mm. And so all I could do is sit and pause and wait for the little niggles and the little messages and continue on my journey a little bit without knowing the end result. And by doing so, that's how the chaos begins to walk with me and work with me rather than consume me. 
Mm-hmm. And that's through trial and error in the past, like what, 44 years of my life. Cause I tried the other way and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> that's how we know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I'm, so I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing that you like very intentionally practice being in spaces where you can trust this. And when inevitably, because you're human, shit just happens, you're also being with it and in it and trusting that it it will also lead somewhere. Yeah. And I practice it all the time. So for example, I've been considering that there's a book that I would like to get and I would like to get it at a secondhand bookstore. And I keep feeling into the bookstore being like, do you, do you have it yet? Do you have it yet? And then there'll be moments where I know that I'm going to go and look. And if I have a feeling, I'm going to go for an hour looking at each of the aisles to see if I could find it. Guarantee if I have that little niggle, I will find it. It's amazing. So just little ways like that. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting the the process. I'm, I'm curious if like, if you know anything about like, um, cause I talk about this, but I don't really know about it, which is like, uh, being as being a non-specific manifester versus someone who's a specific manifester, like, and I don't, like I said, I don't know much about this, but like, for me, it always feels like the place of something good coming into my life that I deeply, deeply long for. Like everything I've longed for has happened for me for a variety of reasons, but all like privilege being one of them, but like also like it hasn't happened in my own control or like by me, like fighting to like receive it. There, there's this like space of trust and surrender that has to happen and I can't even rush that trust and surrender. I just have to like wrestle and cry and be mad about it until I like get to the space where it's like, okay. And then something good comes through. And I'm curious if like for you in like your process, what that, like, would you call it manifestation? Like what is that on your thoughts? Yeah. So I can speak to it from that lens, right? So being a non-specific manifester myself versus specific, Versus my partner is a specific manifester. And so the way that I see it for me is I can't, I have a really hard time envisioning what I actually want. So people who are like, well, what kind of house do you want? I have no idea, like no clue whatsoever. I could look at different homes and be like, oh, that's a nice component or that, but I don't have that feeling. So I, I am useless when it comes to vision boards. No idea how to do that because it's just not part of me, Right. I could try, but every time I look at it, I'm like, is that, I don't know if that's really what I want, right? And so what I notice for myself is I have a feeling of where I want to go. I have a feeling of the um, experience maybe I'd like to have. And from that feeling, I then put it up as if it was a prayer. And the great mother hears it. And my job is to be like, all right, great mother, I'm here for the, for the ride. And it's the journey that I'm tickled by rather than the end actual substantial thing that comes out of it. So for example, if I'm like, which is true, I desire to have a multi-million dollar business because I love what I do and I continue want to serve people and have people remember magic is real. Do I have a particular plan of how? No, 
But every single day, is there a feeling of, oh, this is like the journey that I'm taking. Oh, this is the pain of the journey I'm taking, right? That is very much there. Or when I knew I wanted to leave Asheville and move, I knew it in my bones, but my partner wasn't ready to leave yet. And I just knew how I wanted to feel. And I wanted to feel like there were neighbors around me that looked like me, that there were more people of color around me, that I could go to a Korean supermarket and, you know, get everything that I wanted. Um, Sure, it may be spiritual or not, but that was more important to me, the people rather only it being a spiritual hub. But I didn't know how to get there. Eric, when he was ready, and so I would just kind of give him ideas. I'm like, wouldn't it be lovely if we went into a place that was a little more of a city? Wouldn't it be lovely to have a H-Mart-like place near us? Like, I would just kind of give him like, wouldn't it be? Like, what if? And then at some point, he turns and he goes, we're selling the house, we're moving to Charlotte, and we're going to da-da-da-da-da. And within 24 hours, it all happened. And all I have to do is see my desires and my feels around it. And then he kind of takes it and runs with it when he's ready. But I would try really hard to be on my timeline. And that just doesn't work as a non-specific manifester. Mm. So whether it's with a partner or a friend or just myself, I just feel into what's the journey. So I really desired a car. I don't know what kind of car. And then I was like, oh, maybe a luxe car. Not that at the moment that feels really true. But then Eric Eric is like, what about this car? And now I love my car, not because of the brand, but because how it makes me feel, which is freedom and choices and the ability to continue to live in the miracles by going and not knowing where I'm going, right? So does that help you when it comes to your non-specific manifesting ways? Yes, I love it so much. I, you know, like, in general, I feel like the things that we want, we want for the feelings they give us anyway, not the things itself. And so it makes it makes perfect sense that you would be desiring and placing in your as your intention and prayer that the feeling and that being a way of kind of letting go of the of the goal per se and and allowing allowing that feeling to come through. That's yeah. really beautiful. I, uh, you were, you are famous for running a devoted energy coaching school. <laughs> Be very generous there. <laughs> You're famous in my world. <laughs> I mean, you run a fucking school. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and your like signature process is um, devoted which is a method that you use to teach me and people like me through your school, how to do energy coaching. And like in, as being someone who's gotten the privilege of like watching you and your journey and how you work, this method is like, is, is like born from you. Like it feels like devoted is Sora. The two are not like detachable. It is like, it is your essence. So I'm curious, like what, how that happens? Like, how did, how did you not create, but like, how did you first come to know that that was your process? I, it's, it's an, uh, I don't even know how to explain it because I did know and I didn't know. 
So what I mean by that is I am very, if we talk human design, I'm a six, two. So I'm all the lines anyway. And I really love investigating for myself personally, as well as my clients, what their cycles are, what is their awareness cycle and rhythm. And when they're feeling like they're in the washing machine, what happens next? And then next, and when do they feel like, Oh, I get it. And then when are they in full embodiment? And they don't even realize that they have now shifted into a new paradigm of themselves. And so I'm always looking at my clients and and wondering, and I can name it for each of them. And I notice that I do that for myself as well. So that's just a natural part of me as a coach for a really long time. At the end or in the middle of, of a coaching series, I'd always be able to pick that out and just bring the client's awareness in. So cool. When the Devoted Energy Coaching School started to come about, I had already had a program called Devoted Initiate, and there was a particular process through it, and it was much more, um, I would have to say, cosmic. I don't mean that it was all about channeling the stars, but more about it came channeling in to bring in awareness around how people might move through their spiritual evolution. And so from that, I was looking at energy coaching school and it kept on, I, we believe, right, that these are energies. Creation is based on an energy or for frequency that comes in. And so the creation of devoted energy coaching school kept on coming to the side of me being like, you're almost ready. You're almost ready. Not quite yet. There's some things that are going to happen. And I just felt like now with me entering into honoring myself as a six being able to be like, you know, you have some things you could teach. You might be a little bit of a role model. Sora, could you consider even stepping into that space? That I realized that there might be something there for me. And so when I landed in that, when I said, yes, I could, I could guide someone. I could teach someone. I have some things to offer and I don't actually need to prove myself anymore. All of a sudden, the download of Devoted as a method for energy coaching started to come about. So once that started to come about, um, I started to play with it with the first cohort. And the way that I work is I don't solidify anything. I test it, right? It's a co-creation. And when I be test, it's not that I already know what's going to happen. So that first cohort could tell you, we had no idea what was happening. We were going through it and things were amazingly coming together, like just magically. And so they didn't learn the method until almost the last class. And they were blown away. They're like, this is what we were doing. And me too. I was like, I can't believe this is what we were doing. <laughs> so that's how it occurred. It wasn't all of a sudden like it dropped in and it was there, voila, nor was it my mind being so smart that it brought it together. It was actually through the first cohort and at us playing together in the energy world was it then gifted and birthed through that experience. That's amazing. I love that so much. I, I, I've talked about before, um, with uh, my friend Audra, there's this like idea, and I feel like you just described it where something kind of comes here, or I usually describe it like it's like a like a tornado almost, like it's swirling around you, or it's like a storm on the horizon. Not that the storm is a bad thing; it's more like the it's bringing the rain. But like you kind of you kind of see it in your peripheral, like whatever it is. And if you're like me, you have a hard time just like letting something live there. And you're just like, I have to deal with it all now or like make it land, you know, which, you know, 
doesn't do anything. But it's like, it sounds like that's kind of what was happening is it was just like, it was swirling. It was probably there for like a lot longer than you even noticed that it was there. But then you noticed it and it like got closer and closer until it was actually time almost at the end of your course for it to really, for it to really land. And I could not have it come through without others. And I find that to be really important. Like you said, um, that sometimes you need other people there to even see you and your greatness. Same thing with creations. I feel like we often are like, but this is mine. What if someone steals it or takes it? And for me, it's more like, no, what if it's ours? Like, I need help here. I am not the only person, nor would I have the audacity to say that this is mine and mine alone because nothing is, right? Just purely mine. Mm -hmm. And so having different energies and the people that are there first are so sacred to me because they trusted something that wasn't even there yet. Just like the my beloved partners who saw something in me before I saw it in myself, these people see something and they don't know why, but they trust it and they trust me. And so that unlocks something greater inside of me that I never even knew that I had or had the capacity to hold. And that's why I'm so grateful for all the students that enter because I'm like, me like really like you're you're entering and choosing this of all things I'm always so in awe (laughs) yeah and we're not we're like duh (laughs) have you seen yourself (laughs) no right isn't that the most after thing we really we can't see ourselves in that way like it just is so fascinating the human experience it's actually one of my favorite things to think about. I call it a thought treat. It's like you can't ever really know yourself. You you will not know yourself the way that anyone else knows you. It's fucking impossible. <laughs> and that's so that's so beautiful because it means that everyone that you get to see who you allow into your space is going to show you something about yourself that you couldn't know without them. Yeah. And that's why even the internal work in our spiritual journey is so important. Yes. But the internal work can't happen siloed by yourself because you only have oh so much capacity. You need that other person or a community of people to, you know, share with you what they're sensing as well. But I always wanted to be like the curated chocolate that got made alone and then was like, look at me, I'm decadent and done. (laughs) And done. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's so, it's truly vulnerable to actually like, Because I think for me in the spiritual process, there was many years where I learned a lot on my own and like, I think I needed to, but I definitely hit a wall where I was just like, I'm just talking now. And I know so much in my head that is not actually embodied at all. And it was like, okay, now it's time to be vulnerable. It's like, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure it's time? Because I like it here. (laughs) Hiding in my shadow. (laughs) Oh, I get it. I totally. <laughs> uh, um, okay. I had one or two more questions for you. I just wanted to ask if there was any like spiritual wisdom, and I know you're a projector, so I'm trying to think of how to ask this. Um, yeah, as far as like establishing a daily ritual. You have the ritual creation kit, I know. Um, (laughs) 
which I can link in the show notes for anyone who's listening. Um, how, like coming back to something is, is a devotion, right? Um, how do you come about doing something as a ritual, like being dedicated to it and doing something every day? And I'm coming at this from being a neurodiverse person. So daily things are a little bit harder to like come at, but there is a beauty in the process of continuing to dedicate yourself to something. So I'm just curious what wisdom you have on that. And I, for me, I wonder sometimes the word ritual has become this like big thing. Like what's the ritual I'm going to do? And it's become um, such um, in some ways performative and in other ways, very much a concern around how valuable or intentional or long or deep or sacred that it it, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I would put it in the context of dep- depending on what it is that you're doing, right? So if you are holding a ritual for your community, sure, that's going to be a little bit more elaborate, a little bit more well thought out. There are some protocols you might want to put into it, all of that. If you're talking about a daily ritual, to me, a ritual is small, tiny actions set up to honor a particular intent. Mm. That's it. And so, and it's not necessarily it needs to be Instagrammable. It doesn't have to be like this big thing. And so mm. for me, it's around each day. What's the daily spiritual intent that I'd like to experience and feel? And can I do that? Can I do one thing to honor that? Mm. And it could be five minutes. Right? It could be one minute. It could be simply taking a moment and go out of my balcony and take three deep breaths and say, I've moved. I've, I've been, I'm like bringing my awareness back to my surroundings and myself. That's my intent. So mm. for each person, I find that, again, it's about your way, not someone else's way. So with your rituals, could you consider what kind of ritual are you looking for? A daily devotional practice? Right. Is there, if you don't like doing the same thing over and over again, which I really don't, I do not like doing the same thing over and over again. So what's the intent behind it? For me, my intent is how to calm my nervous system down so I'm not always having a low hum of worry. Mm -hmm. So I'm splenic. And so I just constantly have this worry in me. And so if I could just take five minutes to learn how to just be and find myself coasting in that space of like divine um, warm waters of the unconscious that I feel like I did good. I was like, I did it today. I took five minutes to worry. Good job, Sora. Right. So whatever that is for me, that's my intent. Mm. I love that so much. And even in hearing you say that and naming the fact that ritual is this thing and you even made your hands bigger because like it is it's like I everyone's using this word and I don't think we know what it means (laughs) um but just like naming that it can simply be like as simple as what you said I think that it's almost like we put the lens of capitalism on ritual and we're like how much can you do in this amount of time to prove your spiritual dedication like 
there's like proving energy and like productive energy into a thing that's supposed to be for you and bringing you to presence and yeah that's materialistic right like do you have all the instruments required which I find fascinating because my uh, mentor grandmother Jyoti has told me that in the indigenous uh, practices that often indigenous uh, elders speak around rituals as the way we speak about ceremony that rituals to them are the the protocols that get passed down through verbiage through your through like uh, word to word um, when someone is ready to hold a particular medicine or a protocol or a ritual through that line Mm -hmm. so that it's never broken that's a tradition that's a traditional first uh, nation's practice of rituals which is vastly different than the way that we see is as the context of rituals which would probably be vastly different than let's say those who come from the church see rituals right so there's different ways or for me and my korean shamanic practices what rituals are right but rituals have protocols and it's just knowing what kind of ritual you're talking about is it the capital R ritual or is it the lowercase R ritual? Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so important to name that. I think uh, a lot of, like a lot of um, Western spiritual adaptations of things, it's, uh, it's lost its original meaning and hasn't lost it, but we lost it in the process of trying to, to make it Instagrammable or to make it seem like we're dedicated and and separating it from the real power it has in just being what it is. I think there's a there's a lot of things that we do that with where we're desiring to it's almost like it's like a feeling that we're chasing, right? Like this feeling of like having done or accomplished something and we take that feeling into everything that we do and so when we bring that into a ritual, it's like, well, it needs to be elaborate and it needs to be seven steps. And I need to accomplish it every day for me to get this feeling. But it's like, what if, what if you need to know that doing the very simple thing is actually enough? And that is the spiritual work of a ritual. And that that is enough, right? So even what you're saying, what comes to me is how, even though it feels sacred within us, there's still a performative nature if we're looking for external feedback for it, right? Like, oh, wow, you did an amazing job or, oh my goodness, look at you and what you're doing or teach me more or tell me more or, wow, that's creating such a profound effect. So we're constantly be- being taught and programmed to look externally for other people to tell us versus going internally with even a small five-minute ritual or intent that we have and be like, ah, oh, that felt really whatever X, Y, and Z the feeling is for me. And I may not never tell anyone about that. Mm, yeah. And like that, I feel like that, at least for me, comes from the space of thinking that my own opinion or experience of something doesn't matter as much as someone else's. And like, even in, even in the process of choosing to keep that for yourself, you are naming that your experience is important enough to be enough yeah yeah what the spiritual practice is the spiritual practice (laughs) (laughs) oh oh my god (laughs) 
I have so loved talking with you. Is there any final things that you want to mention or say or anything that you feel like you didn't get to say that you would like to share? No, I would have loved to have continued and ask you questions and hear about your stories. So I'm just really grateful that we had a, we had a little bit of time to chat and continue to be in one another's spaces. Absolutely. Same. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Christina. Thank you all for joining me today. If you are wanting one-on-one support to help you step into trusting yourself, seeing your own magic, and building the life that you want, you can contact me on my website. The website is below in the show notes. I hope you all have a bitchin' day.